Welcome to Curva Mundial. Ciao, and welcome to another episode of Curva Mundial. I am your host, Sal Bono, and my next guest today is someone you may have seen on Italian football TV, as well as AS Roma's social channels, and of course, through his own website, the fantastic Wayne in Rome. Please welcome to the show, AS Roma supporter, Wayne Gerard. Benvenuto, oh, Wayne. What an introduction. Thank you, Sal. So I'm really looking forward to chatting with you, man. Um, you've always been someone who's been really supportive and, you know, lucky enough to call you a friend now. So this is very cool. I'm happy to talk and I can't wait to talk some calcio. Yeah, me too, man. It's, um, you know, as I was telling you in the pre-interview, we don't really know each other. And that's the beauty of what we're about to do, because we're going to get to know each other pretty well real quick here. And the world is going to get to know you, real, you know, if they don't already. Um, but I feel like you're someone that everybody should know because you're the, the kindness, the love, the compassion and the passion that you bring to not just loving your team, AS Roma, but to the promotion of Italian soccer is just like you got me cheerleading, man. Like, I'm, I'm, <laughs> as I told you earlier, you're a fan of the eternal city of the eternal team and I'm going to be your eternal cheerleader, you know, because it's like, I like seeing good people do good things and I want to see good people, you know, I want to see the nice people finish first now. And, and you and your close friend, Marco Messina, seeing you guys doing what you're doing is not only awe inspiring. It's just, I'm just so happy because for those of you that don't know at home, you've seen Wayne. If you follow AS Roma, if you follow IFTV, you've seen Wayne before. He's kind of like, you know, if you listen to the Howard Stern show, he's got the whole caravan of uh, bandits and sidekicks. Wayne is one of them. But uh, what's amazing about Wayne here is, you know, he is an encyclopedia and it's and it's absolutely brilliant. So let's just get right into it. You know, your knowledge and passion of Roma knows no bounds. And I think you're the only person on the planet that loves that team more than Francesco Totti, which is huge to say. So how did your love of Roma come about? Uh, it's it's, it's going to be so hard to follow up after these compliments. <laughs> I'm going to try my best. Uh, man, so Roma is, is something is more than just a team, right? I think of like Barcelona. They, I watched Formula One drive to survive and they always panorama over uh, Barca Stadium. And it's this masculine club, more than a club. And I always feel like, you know, there are certain clubs which exude that about them. And when it comes to Italy, you have to start with the fans, right? With Rome, you could look at the players and the captains, the number 10s through the years, but really it's about the fans. You're talking about just this midweek, for example, they're going to play a team from Norway in what isn't even the Europa League. This is some team that doesn't have stars yet. All of Rome is coming out. It's something like over 60,000 tickets have been sold at this point. So for someone that grows up in the States Right. And they don't have a favorite team. I don't, I didn't grow up with uh, uh, a father supporting Juventus or whatever team, you know, just for example. And when you, your first taste of Italian football is Roma and all that you've known is fans of like the NFL or MLB, whatever American sport you can use there, all of a sudden you are shown or experienced these fans in Rome and it's a complete 180. So above anything, there's, you know, there's a lot of obvious things to talk about here, like Totti's great goals and the beautiful shirts, but really it's the electricity that you feel when you go into that stadium. And when you are 
embraced and, and won with this spectacle that is the match in Rome, it's a, a life-changing moment. And it's one that I got really lucky to experience because I started watching Roma at around 10 or 11. And then I get there when I'm 15, my mom takes us, me and her go together. It, for me, it was, it was I, identifying something which helped me identify myself as a teenager. You think of a typical teen, right? They're always looking to find themselves. This was me. This is what I wanted to be and part of this, this culture. You know, that's amazing and well said. I mean, when you were 10 or 11, you said that was when you got your first taste. What was it? Was it a match? Was it someone talking about it? Did you just happen to be flipping the channels um, on TV? Or did you grow up in a soccer craze family or cultural craze family? Uh, whatever exactly. term you want to use here. I grew up in a hockey family, to be wow. honest with you. Yeah, yeah. So my parents um, and grandfather, they would go see Rangers games. So I'm a New York Rangers fan. But I think my first taste was probably the World Cup because there was this player, you know, Tolti, of course, and he was playing this free role, which is kind of what I played, not because I was exceptional, but because it was unorganized and it wasn't great football going on at, you know, New Jersey soccer uh recreational level and I loved it I loved the, that he was running all around the pitch and doing these flick-ons and really inventing the game innovating as he went along and that was a style that I loved I love to be free even today I mean man I was I was out at I had a I'm off from 1 to 2 30 at my job and today I just went down to the pitch and just started kicking the ball around and training just because I love the game and when you see your star player like that it does so much to bring you in as a kid, but also, like you said, flipping through the channels very much. I would watch because that's a sport I liked and it was my only exposure to football and it was Roma and it was them playing, you know, in this uh, crazy pandemonium Stadio Olimpico. And to me, it was just, there were so many different factors there, you know, like a one-two punch that just solidified that this was the team for me. And I, I tell you what, the beautiful kits don't hurt. And <laughs> over time, uh, you know, maroon did become my favorite color. You know, it's a little bit of a, you know, off topic, but it definitely did that, that you know, that rich red. Even I, I mentioned it to my fiance on Sunday. I was like, they look so great today as they were, they were playing Salernitana. I was like, it just pops. <laughs> it just, it uh, does. Oh. you know, for me, you know, my... When I think of Rome, the city, not the team, when I think of the city, I view it the same way, and this is going to sound a little bit like I'm cheating, but I view it the same way Anthony Bourdain did when he had his shows. He viewed it through the lens of Federico Fellini, black and white, you know, yeah. very you know, classic, exactly very sexy, very classic, the cars, the suits, the sunglasses. So, and again, that eternal coolness in that eternal city. The sprezzatura. Yes, that's it, man. That's the word I'm looking for. And, or the phrase rather. And, but Roma, and this is no disrespect to Lazio, but Roma, you mentioned the color maroon. Roma, when I started coming into like the consciousness of obviously, you know, the team and the city and all these things, you know, playing a factor in things when you're younger, Roma added that pop of color to what I always envision Rome to the city to be. I always viewed it as a black and white city because of the films, because of just the art and the cool and sexiness and suaveness of it. But that maroon and yellow combination, you don't really see often in sports. And then here is a team that, as you just said, that pop of color, it just, 
it threw a paint on the canvas for me. You know, it is. It was, I never really considered that that contrast, that chiaroscuro contrast between light and dark of the red and yellow, almost right. like what you said with Fellini's directory, like the black and white, right? You have the Vicoli, the alleyways of Rome, which are black and mysterious and foggy and you can't really tell. But then the sun shines on the monuments and all of a sudden it's this dazzling, almost angelic light. It's so true. Yeah, and it's like, and that team reflects that. You know, and Roma kind of reminds me, and you can tell me I'm wrong here. I'm just going to switch gears for a different sport for a minute. But in a lot of ways, they parallel the New York Knicks for me in the sense that they had past players that went hard in the paint. Ewing, Oakley, Starks for the Knicks, Totti, De Rossi, Cassano for Roma. Like the Knicks, Roma's in a perfect high-end media market, a world market because of their popular, because where they are in popular cities. But neither team does got so. So... What I'm saying here is, as a Knicks fan, and I love them, but I also hate them equally. Do you ever feel the same about Roma? Like, you guys are everything to me, but you just can't get over that finish line. And does, this, look, and does that comparison even work for you? Well, I tell you what, I look back at a lot of mistakes that Roma made for a big market in that the city itself when they denied the stadium, to me, that was massive. And it's the reason Palota sold. Whatever he's going to say about it, it comes down to not being able to, to get the stadium. So for that, for the stadium, for the, I'm sorry, for the city not wanting to work with the club to get that going is a travesty for the city, but also for the club. Because if you can't get that revenue in that 24-7, 365 per year, uh, money in by concerts and uh, stadium tours and whatever it may be, it really, really hurts your bottom line because in the end, what you do, what you are doing is you're just leasing it out constantly and you're not receiving nearly as much as you can. And then it hurts your borrowing power from the banks and it leads just to, to nothing great. So it's not all Roma's fault. If they could get that stadium for the next five, six, seven years, then I think you can start to say that maybe this team could be elite because of their, their market size and that they could get so much international attraction. They can gain a lot more money and then hold on to their best players. But there's very few teams who can do that right now. And even if they can, it's probably because they're propped up by uh, sugar daddy types. And I don't think that's ever going to come to Rome. That's not, you don't see that typical um, typically, you know, you get your one-off things like PSG, Manchester City, uh, Newcastle, but with the exclusion of PSG, those aren't really fiscally um, responsible, what's the word, uh, investments in the sense that they're not big markets. Manchester City, as the city itself, can only grow so much, and there's going to be a point where they debt. Um, PSG is that is the exception, but to stay on track here, I don't think it's entirely Roma's fault. I think at times they've been so close, but then you get the bigger true football markets, these post-industrial cities like Milan and Torino, mm. and they've got their, their feet so, so locked into the mud where it's really hard to shake them. And the ownership, I mean, behind even Juventus is, is exquisite. You look at what they did for the Vlahovic. Everyone's like, where did they get the money? The money comes from a, a request to shareholders. Who are these majority shareholders? Well, you know, you're getting into the weeds of it, but they say we want this player. And all of a sudden they get a 70 million euro cash injection. What does Vlahovic cost? 
70 million euros. So they have that ability, whereas Roma is um, more of a private company, does not have that advantage. You look at Milan also, major market. The, the San Siro has such a pull within the city that they can keep on um, maximizing the revenues there, but they, would, they also would really benefit from a private stadium. So I can't be too tough on Roma because they haven't gotten any help. Have they shot themselves in the foot quite a few times? Yes, but it's all a trickle-down effect from past mismanagement, I think. You know, it leads me perfectly into the next area here is that I want to talk about how Roma is backed by American owners. We're seeing it more and more that American owners are investing in Italy. Rocco Camiso at Fiorentina, Elliott Management, the New York-based hedge fund for AC Milan. Venezia is owned by an American. Miami-based 777 partners have taken over Genoa. Robert Platek at uh, Spezia. And of course, the lower leagues like Kyle Krauss at Parma and former Roma board member, my friend Joe Tacopina at Spal. And clubs like Ascoli are also under U.S. owners. What does that mean to you? And does it change anything about the culture of a team here? I think it shows that there's a big upside. There is the emotional factor where Italian-Americans, people more like me, where they have it in their ancestry, look at this as an interesting investment. But at the end of the day, it's because there's the upside that hopefully that these teams, which are worth so little, could be maximized in value once they do get stadiums and correcting their mistakes of not getting great sponsors or international ones and getting that attraction. So what they see is long-term projects that maybe they could appreciate at five to 12% per year and make a lot of money, but also have some fun with it because I mean, come on, what's better than owning an Italian soccer team at the end of the day. Right. I mean, that's the dream, right? You know, it's like, it's, you know, you get to go to Italy and hang out and, you know, eat amazing food and drink espresso and have, live that live yeah. la dolce vita, if you will, speaking of Fellini. Um, you know, you and Roma are a beautiful love story for uh, every fan's million reasons why. But, you know, recently you posted a very candid story um, and a very personal one on your website about um, you were wearing a Francesco Totti jersey. And a night that changed your life. And it almost, and you wrote about how it almost made you more of a fan and a deeper love connection to a team that I don't know how you can love something even more. Um, can you explain that to us? Like talk, talk yeah. to me about that. I typically don't write like that. I don't write like to write um, super personal things. Like I get to a point where there's a surface, right? Like I've written things about like my experience going to the San Siro for the first time. Or this one time I stayed over at the, this place in Lake Como and I had to run away because I got really sick. And that, that was a, a pretty fun story to write. But I, I often have a level, right, that I don't like to go past where I would say this was something where I was just completely honest because it was something which I in, really just wanted to share, I think. I think after half my life of it happening, this car accident I was in, but like I say, it wasn't really a car accident. Um, it felt like it was time for me just, just to get it off my chest. And maybe it would be cool, you know, if someone read it. So if someone did come across, you know, I, I thank you for for showing that interest. And if you haven't, it's on it's on my website now. It's, I think it's my latest post. Um, but you know, there's 15 year old me, a teenager, and we were funny kids, man. Like we would toilet paper houses. Um, like this one time. I don't, I don't want to use this word, but we like, nah, I guess we, we did something to my friend where we, um, 
<laughs> we pranked him pretty good and left him on, on an, like an island in New Jersey. But uh, okay. but there, there's more to that story we'll have to talk personally Completely about. There is, but we, we were mischievous, but we never took it past a point. We didn't egg cars or anything like that. Um, we didn't throw things. We weren't violent. We were, we were not like suburban teenagers. teenagers. Yeah, that's exactly what we were, man. And we stayed out of trouble for the most part, maybe like, you know, skateboarding where you shouldn't or things like that. Um, like I said, toilet papering houses. And that was about it. One time we stole a, um, uh, a cement lawn jockey from my friend's backyard. And that was the heaviest thing we ever lifted. It was completely made of cement. And we went in her backyard during the day and told her, like, if they ever wanted to see the the jockey again, they would have to pay in Monopoly money. Like, just silly things like that, you know, messing around. And uh, that night, yeah, it was like, as I would two to three times per week, I was wearing my Tolte jersey, right? And like, it's just to look back on it, like, it's um, it's sentimental. You know, because that was so identifying of me during those times that like a tough time. What was it that that I was really doing? I wasn't wearing like, you know, anything bad. I was wearing something that I really loved at a hard moment. So it has that sentimental factor to it for sure. And later on, I would get that jersey signed by Totti, which was really cool. Yeah, I still have it in my closet. So you were a passenger in a car. And I, a rock went through or something came through yeah. a window and hit you so, in the head and put you in a coma. Yeah. So we were driving down a dirt road, um, like a, it was just a garbage lane somewhere where like a private road that a garbage truck would come and collect privately. Not like when you would throw your garbage in the front of the house and it's this dirt road. And we were going to see my friend who was just broke his leg skateboarding. He jumped off like a four or five foot, um, staircase and i made like a tribute video for him and i was putting film together at that point i really liked it i had this hp desktop i used to work on and had windows movie maker and we were like no let's go on the road one more time so we we're just gonna go back to his house and chill for like the rest of the night it was a friday night um when yes unfortunately someone threw this big stone through the car window i have to imagine it was somebody who just had probably had countless kids do this before, like driving behind their house, you know, at like 15 to 20 miles an hour on this dirt road and had probably just had it. Um, and yeah, so the, at the end of the day, I had a skull fracture, a sinus fracture, and I was, I was really hurt. But fortunately, I was really blessed to come away with no long-term problems. It's really amazing. I, that's that's a. That's a miracle, man. Um, yeah, it was it was a miracle. So that's like I never got, you know, this big payout or they never caught who did it. But that's so secondary to really the most important thing, which was yeah. my health. You're alive. You're engaged. You know, you're doing what you love. And now yeah. you said you got that. You got your gladiator armor, if you will. Um, yeah. Healthy jersey. You got that signed by him. How did that come about? Oh, that was uh, at a training, I think, in Montclair, New Jersey, years years ago, probably 2011. I think Boyan was there as well. Yeah, that would be 2011, where where he signed it. And I was, like, in shock. I was trembling when I met him. And I was just like, I told him, I was like, this is a dream of mine. And he gave me, like, the coolest little smirk smile, you know, that only Toti could do. I mean, and, that's uh, just... 
I, you know, one that practicing in your backyard. Cause I remember when that happened, I remember like the 2011 around that time, they were bringing like teams to Red Bull arena to, you know, neighboring areas or, or you know, in, in New York city to play and practice and show off, which was awesome. I remember distinctly when they were in Jersey, which is kind of incredible. And knowing that you were there and you got to meet them. Uh, Toti, of course, you know, the, the bandiera, if you will, the, a fan of fans, the player of players for that team. He's been very vocal in his support for Jose Mourinho. Mourinho comes in this summer and, of course, turns everything upside down, as Mourinho does. How do you rate his first season, and do you still find him to be the special one? It's good so far. Jose Mourinho takes on a challenge that I don't think Klopp or Guardiola ever would. Of course, it's fair to say that his stock has fallen since Tottenham, Manchester United. But I think what he's done so far is a really good job of imposing his tactics, but also finding things out and being able to go to this 3 4 2 1. So tactically, he seems right on the ball. A lot of the a lot of the issues this year, I think, have come from simple mistakes from the players. And unfortunately, a coach can't change simple mistakes if it's basic passing and things. There's been some rough patches, and at times I felt negatively. I felt, well, this coach makes a lot of money, and ultimately, regardless of the special one moniker or his trophies in in the um, trophy room, is that trophy room? Yeah, I guess that's the right word. Regardless of all that, ultimately, his job is to get Roma out of these pickles and get them into better form. And now he's done that because Roma is, is uh, undefeated in their last 11 Serie A matches. Over the past, I believe, 15 games, they have the most points out of any team in Serie A. So they've made up a lot of ground. They've found ways to, to overcome. And also, he's found slots of players. If there's also one criticism of Mourinho through the years, it's that he hasn't played youth. However, now you see Nikola Zalewski becoming this really important player who's locked down the left flank. And even though Spinatola is returning, that's wonderful. I have to imagine that next year, this kid has got that flank on lock i think it's his to take you know what does roma need to do in this offseason in order to compete with the likes of inter juve milan napoli as you know they're gonna gear up and they're gonna go and try and do whatever they can to make sure that they stay top four so now roma and you know this is not going to sit right with Mourinho being on the outside of top four he wants the big piece of the pie what does he got to have to do? Because there's rumors. There's a lot of players that are rumored to be coming to Roma. Um, you know, do you want to talk about any of those? Or, you know, but fact of the matter is, what does he need to do? Start off with that. I think he himself is fine. I don't think that he needs to change because I, I love his attitude. I love how he deflects a lot of the journalist pressure, which many managers have been too weak to do in the past. But to me, it's like, dude, you need a star, a star midfielder, a center back, and probably one more attacker. Uh, but, but those two are the to- two most important areas. I looked at Inter is probably going to get Bremer. You have to imagine that Milan is going to lock down Sven Boltzmann. A Juventus might get Rudiger. So I see three, center, three top center backs coming in to Roma's main competitors. And at that point, you have to match. Could that match just be Kambulo's progression, somebody who cost Roma a lot of money? It could. Could it be Smalling's return, you know, all this combined, the chemistry between them? I think that it could, and Mancini's growth as he's resigned 
um, to another contract, a long-term contract. However, it will come down to that midfield because Mourinho's play, no matter if it's 4-2-3-1 or 3-4-1-2, 3-4-2-1, whatever it might be, he needs a really stud center mid to be in there. Somebody who can be that engine of the team and also protect the defense. Somebody who's tactically disciplined, a really good all-rounder. So that's what Roma needs to bring in above anything else this summer. You know, what's interesting is, is that you have two former Chelsea managers both coaching in Rome right now for two very, very different teams, for two rivals, you know, and both have had an influence on the Chelsea youth. We saw Tammy Abraham come, obviously, to Roma and do tremendous this year. Uh, there's rumors that Maurizio Sarri wants to try and persuade Caitlin Hudson-Odoi from the Blues over to uh, Lazio this summer. Are there other Chelsea players that you think that Mourinho should try and go for? Or is it just, you know, leave Chelsea alone, maybe take some of the fringe players from Tottenham or, or United, other teams that he has managed and still has friendships with those guys? I think that the key will be Thiago Pinto's relationship with looking around just outside of, you know, Rome itself, but also looking, I should say Italy itself, but also other, other uh, countries like Belgium and the Netherlands in their leagues in trying to find those diamonds in the rough that it's not, it might not just be the most obvious player, but one who's ready to make a jump. And that is not the, the set player that they're going to be, but one who can be molded a little bit by Mourinho and that one which would really benefit the way that, like you said, Tammy came over. So somebody that's possibly completely off the radar. So a name, I don't think I can give, but a style I can. And I think that's one that hasn't been truly noticed, one that's not going to be overvalued and one that still has a little bit to learn. Perhaps, you know, I, I get this, I said I wouldn't give a name, but like Lucas Torreira, I, I really, okay. really regret that Roma did not try to get him this past summer. I think that clubs gave up on him way too easily based off his form at Arsenal. I agree. They didn't, under, you know, they didn't understand mentally maybe what he was going through because his mother died. And these are massive things. You have an Argentinian in England, just lost his most important parent, and no one's there to support him. He comes back to Florence. He does a great job. And once again, this is just an example of the type of player. And man, if you could somehow get him from Arsenal, I mean, that would be, it'd be a major coup. Uh, but there's other players out there as well. So you can't get too caught up on these. If it's um, maybe a player like Grealish comes over, you know, a lot of these German players who could settle in very quickly. So I think that there's, uh, there's going to be some names popping up that we might not expect. Interesting. You know, we talk about a lot when, especially when it comes to City Yacht Clubs, and I've had conversations with other fans on the show and uh, journalists who cover City Yacht and look at it, and it always comes down to money. You know, and money is obviously a huge thing. The Italian league, I've equated in the past as like a snake that eats itself. It's hungry, so it feeds itself, but it's destroying itself at the same time. Um, and you know, City Yacht has got so many problems financially. That is the biggest one right there among others. But, you know, a team like Roma, as we discussed earlier, you have this high profile coach in this high profile city and these fans that, as you said, that that fan base is second to none. Win or lose, 
you're all going absolutely mental, you know, and when, when in fact Roma actually does something huge, whether, you know, we saw the, 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 the monolith goal years ago in Champions League. We saw, you know, everything that has happened, uh, you know, in that time since. But when Roma gets to the victory and crosses that finish line, what's that going to be like? And what's that going to mean to you? I think the city will shut down, man. When <laughs> Roma eventually gets to that point where they get a Scudetto or a major European trophy, it's going to be pandemonium. I can imagine just how much the streets of Rome will flood. I was in Rome when they won Euro 2020, and these were scenes which no one could. If you weren't there, it's it. imagine an entire city and every street with every soul out in their car driving around at like two miles an hour and it becomes this pseudo parade of just an entire city there's no comparison to what this was um the city was just completely on fire like ancient times crazy people screaming crying naked hanging off of things like just bananas you know what's crazy? You depict the scenes of when I went to Palermo a month after Italy wins the World Cup in 06, because that was exactly what was happening then, a month after that victory. <laughs> so imagine what it was like when they actually won. So you're there this summer, this past summer, 2021. Italy lifts that trophy at Wembley, and you're seeing all these scenes. What, what, how did you, what were you in Italy for? And, you know, did you expect? Italy to actually win here. So this, this conversation went like this. I said, babe, I know we're going to Italy, but I have a really good feeling that Italy's going to win the Euros. <laughs> I said, do you mind if we go to Rome on the day of the final? And I'm telling you, this is like, like two months in advance. And I end up booking the wrong day. and It becomes a whole thing. I have to rebook. And then to get the ticket was really difficult because they had these official fan viewing parties but then i had a connection in rome who hooked me up and i we ended up at like this basketball court which was like full of hipsters and stuff and drink bars like negroni campari and beers it ended up being so much fun but i just had that instinctual feeling the same way that i did in 2006 if i'm completely honest Mm. and uh i said you know let's let's be in rome (laughs) just let's in case, just in case. And what do you know? It all freaking worked out. I mean, look, you might be the good luck charm here, Rain. Uh, <laughs> you know, we, whenever you get that gut feeling, let us know and we'll all start placing bets so we can, uh, you know, cash out and get our own nice uh, VIP <laughs> tickets in the garage yes. cars in Rome. <laughs> I tell you what was different about this time in 2006, though, is I was on my phone this time. I wasn't the 16-year-old that had just gotten out of the car accident and really wanted Italy to win. This was like more from like a journalist perspective. And it's not that I didn't have as much fun, but it wasn't a pure fun where I was just there for, for the, for the joy of it and the happiness and being with friends and family. Like I was with my fiance, but I wasn't the same way. Like when I was with my cousin and his uncle. So it was a bit of a different thing. So like my memories are very different compared like this crazy, insane experience of 2020 
2021 versus 2006, which to me was just like a really heartwarming, beautiful memory. This was a bit more like, wow, this is crazy. And I'm, you know, journaling it all. And I'm in Italy. So there's two very different experiences. Which, you know, I completely get. I totally agree with you on that. And I think, you know, in a, with COVID and everything happening in the world, you know, it was, it was just nice to smile for the first time, you know, in a while. It was nice to yeah. see like, oh, a victory here. Um, you and your journaling is really amazing because we talk about Wayne and Rome, your website. I want to just uh, chat about that for a hot sec because, you know, you've been chronicling the city of Rome in a lot of ways from afar. You know, what is it about this city that's almost like a magnet to you that keeps you going back to it? It's like the, it's like my, people can disagree, my personal equivalent to New York. So being a New Yorker, my family's from there, spent my first years there. I always went back and went to college. I lived, so, I, so I, I feel that I'm from New York and there's always been that, well, what's the original New York and it's Rome, mm-hmm. right? So there's that brotherly love between the two cities, in my opinion. And I don't think it's any mistake that Roma Club New York is the, biggest group outside of Rome, or at least um, most organized and formal group. So chronicling it from afar is difficult. You rely on books, newspaper articles, forums. You have to have, you really have like your ears to the ground. If you get out of the news cycle, you're going to miss something, right? So to journal, journalize something from afar, it really takes that like almost obsession where you have to be watching the journalists there and keep up with the news cycle and always refreshing the page a few times a day, right? Don't let anything slip. So it's It's definitely a difficulty. Uh, I've been lucky enough to learn Italian. It's not 100% fluent, but I'm a little above conversational. So it's uh, that's been a big advantage as well, as well as Google Translate when I need to fill in the blanks. What is Wayne Gerard's perfect day in Roma? Because I've actually, surprisingly enough, I've never been to that city. So Perfect day. What is your perfect day? What is the quintessential Roma day? Wake up at 8 a.m., take a stroll up a hill, exercise with some water. After an hour passes, you're back home. You've showered. You know, you've done your little jog. You enter into a cafe, have a cappuccino a little cornetto, maybe with a little bit of uh, pistachio, pistachio cream inside it. And then you're chilling. And maybe by 10, 12 o'clock, you start to have a little bit of uh, like a salami or some type of panino, something like that. A little soupli, the Roman rice balls. That would be perfect right before you cross the bridge and get to the Stadio Olimpico for a match. And then afterward, Roma wins and you have a few Negroni. You're going a little crazy, maybe a shot of Sambuca in there or something like that. And then you never know because in those alleyways of Rome, things just spring up. It might be a club. It might be a speakeasy. You never know where that night will take you. So that mystery is definitely the end to a perfect night. Dude, that just sounds incredible. Now, because it's it's Roma and I said, you know, earlier, you know, it's, it's my vision of it and my feel of it is kind of the way Anthony Bourdain looked at it, which is it's a Fellini film. So what am I wearing throughout all of this? What is someone wearing at during this perfect day? If it's, if it's a seasonal change, spring or fall, hmm, I think you need a nice, 
pair of dark denim, maybe like a gray with a cool t-shirt, nothing too crazy, like a nice quality, soft cotton, and then a biker jacket, man, and maybe some black Chelsea boots. And I think you're set. Maybe a little scarf for when it gets a little chilly because Italians get cold easily. So, <laughs> true. you know, once it hits like 68 degrees, the scarves come out, man. So you'll start seeing the uh, the merino wool sweaters underneath those jackets too. So I think I think just like that, man, you're set. I'm really I, into fashion, by the way. I, I like read, you know, look into it. I spend way too much money on clothes. Me too. So I'm like into the whole thing. I'm into the whole scene. <laughs> I get it, man. That's why I had to ask because I'm like, yo, uh, if anyone's gonna be able to answer this question, it's gonna be Wayne. And, uh, good to know that I have all that in my closet and can rock that. And not to oh, spend yeah. any extra money, but the problem is, is that once I get there, I'm going to see some, uh, so many different expensive outfits that I'm going to be like, this was, a oh yeah, it's, it's a dream. You can go into <laughs> any boutique in Florence or Rome, Milan, pick up some really cool threads, like stuff I wear every day. And it's not like, I think it can sound pretentious, but it's not, you're talking about stuff that's like, you know, a pair of pants, 40, 50 bucks. So it's like on sale. Right. And because, because. There's, there's a lot of sales, especially with the drop in tourism. So I've been able to score a couple of good pieces. Um, it's just about like being a, a smart shopper. I just picked up a pair of Pentafola Doros. Uh, people probably know them from their boots. Yeah. They're, you know, I mean, 70 bucks. They're like, you know, 80, per, no, like maybe like 60% off. I got these things. So like just being a smart shopper and watching for Italian brands is, is the way to go, man. Just have a nice night out, you know? Love it. Love it. I mean, look, every Italian loves a good sconto, you know, the sconti on the, on oh the yeah, boat, you know, that's <laughs> it. That's the way to do it. Sconto is the way. Yeah. You know, you got it. And then you bargain, you try it, you know, plea bargain. Hell yeah. Whoever throws you, whoever doesn't throw you out of the shop first, get your business. At yeah. least that's how I've learned in Palermo. Um, but, uh, true. you know, uh, uh, too much fun, too much fun, not enough cash. Um, oh, and make but, sure if you are that you ask for the tax exemption form. That's one oh, that's mistake I've made. That's a good so, tip. You, you can see, get all of it tax-free. We just took a nice little stroll around Roma. We had the perfect day here. We got the fashion. We got the politics. We got the, the problems the, the and the pleasure here with Wayne. And I told you it would be a lot of fun. But now we're gonna <laughs> now we're gonna have some serious fun here because these this is the best part of the podcast, in my opinion. Now time for a coffee break. Curva Mundial is sponsored by Mod Cup Coffee in Jersey City. But you can get it anywhere in the world from modcup.com. Mod Cup, drink modern coffee. Use code MUNDIAL for 10% off your first order. These are the same three questions I ask every guest on. Rapid fire questions, they pertain to Roma. So here we go. Question number I close my eyes and think hard. There you go, Wayne. There you go. Get in the zone. All right. If you could bring back one retired player to your club, alive or dead, who would it be and why? Not Tati or De Rossi, barring those. You're, you're putting that rule on yourself, man. I didn't say that. You're it's too easy. <laughs> it's too easy. One, one player, dead or alive, that, that's gone. Uh this this one's this one's tough. I gotta say, probably, probably Al Dair. Wow. Okay. Wow. All right. Center backs. 
Nice. Okay. Yeah. You're real. So wait, what you said you were a free player on the pitch, but you seem to be really discussing defense strategies here today on the show. What is it about the Roma defenders that you, is this like a subconscious thing that's coming out that like, you just really want some help in the back? I I think that when you build a team, you have to start from the back and there's no other way. It's the foundation. And if you have a good spine, and a good defense, you're going to win games. You're going to be able to get those one zeros and those points add up. They don't have to be dominating victories all the time. You can get by with, you know, decent forwards, but a really good defense. Cool. Love that. Plus the leadership, you know, a great center back as a leader, forget it. Invaluable. Absolutely true. And I mean, it's, and, and especially in Italy, it's proven itself time and time. And again, we can go on forever. Just given a list of that, but uh, question number two here, Money is not an issue in this question. If your club could sign one player today from anywhere in the world, who would it be and why? Conte, Chelsea, center mid. I think he's great. I think he's up and down. He can play a good ball. He plays the simple passes. He hardly makes mistakes. He's a champion. What more could you want from Conte? Beautiful player. Beautiful smile. Beautiful human. Just love it. I love that choice. And finally, you may have answered this earlier, but let's get it on the record here. What is your favorite moment as a fan? Roma or Atsuri? Either or. You can be both. Do it as both. Whatever makes you feel comfortable. My favorite time as a Roma fan, I think, is celebrating when Pelti scored and Bucinic scored in the comeback against Real Madrid. In 2007, 2008, I believe that was, in the Champions League, because I was at my friend's, and he was a big Real Madrid fan, and his two brothers and his mother, and I was the outlier, and they were giving me all loads of crap about being a Roma fan. And when they went and just punished (laughs) Real Madrid, that was just such a good good memory to look back on. And the Azzurri is definitely 2006, uh, just being with my you know, my cousins, it's a beautiful memory and being able to, you know, have walked away from that accident. And then two months later, two and a half months later, three months, we sorry, Italy wins the world cup. That was just like, uh, that was a true serendipitous moment for me. I really look back and I felt, i really felt happy. I'm someone definitely gets anxiety too. And I remember at that moment, it just felt like the world stopped turning for a moment and it was just, uh, you know, ecstatic feeling that release i mean especially in your case that release had to have just been every emotion possible yeah beautiful man 100%. wayne i can't thank you enough before i let you go tell the people here who are listening around the globe where they can they find you on the social media where can they find your website where can they just find you yeah. <laughs> you can just just find me at probably prato bakery in jersey city in downtown now and then uh, you'll see me or probably at Songinopoli in the city eating pizza or um, Roma Club New York sometimes if I'm if I'm not working. And what else? Guys, I'm on Instagram too, Wayne in Rome, of course, Twitter. And I have a YouTube channel that I'll be developing. I'm going to start a podcast pretty soon, which will be completely nonprofit type thing where I'm going to try to get a Patreon going and 
and get you know some money in and, and donate that every month. So that's uh, something well behind the scenes I'm working on right now. So I'm never going to disappear. You know, I'm going to keep working hard and, and putting things together and doing videos. And hopefully I turn this from a part-time job into a full-time job one day. Like a perfect Romanista, just constantly chipping away and making <laughs> Wayne, it's thank you be. so much, man. Thanks, Sal. Follow us on Twitter at Curva Mundial Pod and subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.